I'm Stacy. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Stacy. Um, thanks for inviting me tonight. I'm so glad to be here. I guess I'll start by saying my journey began in Alcoholics Anonymous on July 22nd of 2012. Uh, my sobriety date was May 22nd of 2014. So um, we'll get into that a little later on what happened there. But I guess I'll, I'll start with uh, what it was like. Um, I The first drink I ever took, I was 11 years old. And I did not just sip a few beers, you know, sips of beer from my parents' uh, drinks. I, I was out babysitting with a girlfriend, and we raided the liquor cabinet. We went all out. I poured just the biggest glass of vodka, put a little bit of a splash of milk in there, and ate it with Oreo cookies. And I got trashed. I drank the entire thing, puked, was sick. My girlfriend was trying to shove aspirin down my throat. I guess she thought that that would sober me up. And, um, and I, I, I remembered it the next day, but it was all a big, a big blur. Now, um, I didn't wake up the next day thinking, I gotta have another drink. Um, but it was kind of fun. I thought that was kind of a different kind of experience. I, I wonder if I'm gonna get to do that again. So I really, uh, the first time I, <clears throat> immediately after that, the first time I tried to commit suicide, I was um, at age 12, on my 12th birthday. And um, I don't know if the, the alcohol attributed to that, I, I like to say it does, because that's where alcohol always takes me. Um, but I know that I've always, since I was a little girl, never really felt like I belonged never really felt like I had purpose, um, that I was centered. And um, I always felt that I was just floating from one thing to another, trying to find that one thing that would fill, that would fill the void in, in my heart. And um, I remember that as a, as a very young child. So uh, made it through junior high, not easily. I, I took things extremely hard. Everything that happened in life was the end of the world. It was so dramatic, like I, I, I was going to die. Um, and then made it to high school, and it didn't get much better from there. At high school, <clears throat> that's when, you know, alcohol really started being introduced on the weekends, and um, uh, I definitely was in to going with the party because I wanted to be the most popular girl in school. And uh, I thought that that was going to make me happy. What it really did is, you know, I just put myself out there to be judged and criticized and um, to be uh, up on a stage noticed of all my faults. So I, uh, I drank a lot on the weekends. I, um, I always humiliated myself. I always, always left the weekend regretful, never wanting to go to school on Monday because I was thoroughly embarrassed of my behavior the weekend before. So the second, <clears throat> not the second, the first hospitalization um, I went into for depression, which they didn't realize it was from drinking because I lied. I was the, a master manipulator even at that age. I would They'd ask me, do you drink? I'm like, no, never, never. I am stone cold sober. 
So, um, so they put me in the hospital for depression, and um, I was 14. And that, I was there for 30 days, and I made a lot of really great friends, and we had a lot of fun parties. I didn't learn a thing when I was there, except I learned that a good way to get out of school was to have issues and get put into a hospital. And um, so I got to avoid school and, and basically party for 30 days. Um, so I left there, went back to school, lied to everybody at school and said I went away on some... I was, I was an amazing liar from, from birth. I believe I came out just spouting off these grandiose, grandiose lies about who I was. I even told somebody when I was seven that my dad owned a jet and he had a black chauffeur named Jack. And that went around school. And they're like, you live on emeralds. Like, your house is this big. And you, it's a three-bedroom house. How can you have a, a chauffeur and a jet and a horse? So I just learned to lie at a very young age to embellish what I thought people wanted to hear to make myself look good. <clears throat> so I did that coming out of the hospital. I would tell people all these grandiose ideas like, oh, yeah, I went away to a private school <laughs> for 30 days, you know, and then came back. I don't know where I thought that would fly. I ended up getting biggest bullshitter in high school, by the way, um, <laughs> rightfully earned. So uh, then I went back to school. Nothing changed. Um, I still was uh, doing terrible in classes. My, I, I still did not feel <clears throat> like I was a part of or that I, that I made sense. And um, um, my second hospitalization after a suicide attempt was when I was 17. And that was for three months. That was a little bit more intensive. It still, I still was not taking it seriously because I didn't realize that alcohol was the problem. I thought it was my life. I thought I was defective. I thought that the people around me just didn't understand me. If they only understood me, if they only saw my true heart, then they would love me, and if everybody loved me, then my life would be okay. <clears throat> so I partied again for three months in a psych ward with all my little friends that I made, and, you know, it was, it, it became comfortable. I guess it's kind of like jail. You get there, and you get comfortable, and it becomes the norm. So, you know, you just kind of accept it. So I accepted it. It became the norm, became comfortable. And um, two and a half months later, after putting my parents through hell, um, I got out of that. So I ended up graduating high school. How, I don't know how I graduated at all because I missed so much school. I did so poorly. There, were, there was like one semester in high school that I actually made it on the honor roll, and I have no idea why. No idea why. It just kind of happened. It, um, the stars aligned. It was not because I made any sort of an effort. So I graduated high school, <clears throat> and off I went into the big, bad world. I thought, I, I've tried every single thing I know to do in my life 
to find that fix that I was looking for, that one place, person, thing that would make me happy that where I'd have to stop searching. I got a job immediately, moved out of my parents' house because I thought, it's them. I need to get away from them. If I'm away from them and I'm a big girl, then I can make my own decisions and life is going to be great. Well, I, um, I went a couple years just kind of floating from job to job, from relationship to relationship. Um, my parents bailed me out a lot, a lot in my, own, in my whole life. They bailed me out so much. And I'm not sure if that's because you know, I, I lost a brother when, we were, when I was younger. Um, my, my brother passed away. So I don't know <clears throat> if my parents felt like they had to make up for that, you know, by making sure that the, the rest of their children, the, the other two, were taken care of, that they were happy, and um, that they didn't want to die. And I had already proven to them time and time again that I did not care about my life. So um, I was wandering aimlessly through life. I did not want to go. I wanted to go to college. I joined college, then I quit college. Then I wanted this job, then I joined the job, then I quit the job. Then I wanted to do this and that. I um, moved a couple times in-state, and then I had this bright idea. I went to visit my sister in Virginia, met a boy, and moved to Virginia on a whim. I was, not, I was fearless when it came to moving around. I didn't even think that there were going to be any consequences to not having a job or any money. I thought, oh, well, I'll be fine. I can just wait tables or something. Um, so I lived in Virginia for about two months, as long as the relationship lasted. That's about as long as any of my relationships lasted until my first marriage. Um, and then that didn't work out, so I moved back to Evansville, moved with Grandma, and still, I mean, didn't have a car, didn't have a job. So I thought, well, I'm going to join the Army. The Army will get me, I'll get fixed in the Army. Why not? Like, that's discipline. I'll get into shape, and they'll pay my bills, and they even give me clothes. So that's cool. So I joined the Army, and granted, I'm a liar, and I can talk, I can talk and fake my way out of anything. Well, I was in boot camp six weeks in, and I'm like, this just ain't for me. You know, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not any fun. I mean, they don't even let us have sugar, let alone let us go out and party. This is not what Top Gun looked like to me. So I faked an illness um, and got out of basic training. Believe it or not, I, I was a whiz, a master at faking illnesses, and um you know, the Army back then didn't really spend a whole lot of time on in-depth testing uh, when we were in basic training. They did this one test. It showed up a little um, odd, which I knew it would because I had had issues in that area before. But I knew it wasn't what they thought it was going to be, but I still said it was that. And so they asked me if I wanted to leave or they, they gave me the choice. Do you want to stay or do you want to go through the battery of tests? And... Um, and recycle through basic. And I said, no, I want to go. So I left there. And uh, another thing that I failed at that I did not finish and that I think deep in my heart I was always really disappointed. I, I was always walking around disappointed in myself because I never finished anything. So I went um, back home to Illinois. Basic was in South Carolina, by the way. I've lived in eight states. 
since graduation of high school. So that's uh, Virginia, South Carolina, those are two of them. And then I went back home to Illinois and I started working at a bar again, which was never good for me. I would work at the bar and then we would go to after hours and I was drunk until sunlight the next day. So when you work at a bar, seven days a week, you're drunk seven days a week. And that's really, in my early 20s is really when I started to see my alcoholism take off and, and shape into something different. It was not just partying. It wasn't just, you know, making a fool out of yourself on the weekends or doing something silly here and there. It was almost an everyday occurrence. I had affairs with married men. I never respected my friends' boyfriends or their relationships. If that man, if, if I thought he was the key to making me happy, I would trample all over any relationship I had to get what I thought I needed to make me happy. Um, whether it be someone's, like I said, someone's hus or husband or not. I, uh, I made a whole lot of enemies wherever I went and I never kept friendships. I was always, always alone um, because of me. So then I joined a church because <laughs> I thought, well, I just need the Lord. The Lord's going to save me. <clears throat> I joined a church that was actually on the news for being cult-like behavior. So I thought, well, that's perfect because they're very controlling and I need that in my life. <laughs> so, so the three years I was in the church, I was dry, but I was a miserable, miserable human being. And I was one of their more challenging <laughs> Uh, challenging parishioners in the church. They um, they would laugh and make jokes, like, and they'd be like, she's got issues. And I was the girl with the issues walking around just because I had no sort of medication. Um, they'd be like, just pray about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't understand that. I, God, I, do t I tell God what I want. He doesn't give it to me, and that's the end of that. So um, that lasted three years. I mean, that's the longest anything really lasted in my life. But um, again, it still was not filling that void in my heart, and uh, I wasn't getting what I thought I deserved. So I left the church, and that was a big deal. That was really hard for me to do. Um, I felt like because I was leaving the church, I was going to go to hell. That's what they taught. Uh, they taught if you weren't a part of their church, then you're going to hell. Anyway, so... Just It was just another excuse to go out and just get rip-roaring drunk. So I went on this long, long, long time of drinking. And um, other substances are a part of my story. So whenever I say I drank, just add everything else to that. And that's, that's my story. Um, I got pregnant when I was uh, right out, uh, out of leaving the church. And um, <clears throat> I thought, a baby, awesome, a baby will change my life because I'll have to be responsible. And I tried so hard to quit drinking. I, I tried so hard, and I couldn't, and I ended up losing that baby. Um, it, was, it was devastating to me because I, I really wanted to quit. I did. So I kind of just gave up at that point and thought, well, this is just who I am. I'm just going to be a drinker. 
And um, so I, oh, and by the way, I had moved to Minnesota to join that church. So I went from Illinois to Min Indiana to Illinois to Minnesota. So I moved back from Minnesota and moved back in with my mom because my family always came to my rescue. Whenever I'd had enough, whenever I'd gone through that time where I'm like, okay, I, I, I can't take much more, I want to die, I'd freak my parents out so bad that they'd be like, come live with us, let us take care of you, uh, which was completely manipulative and wrong to do to my poor parents. <clears throat> so I moved back in with my mom and um, started over again. Now you'll have to forgive me if I jump around from then on because my story gets so messy. Um, there's so much drinking and so much intense abuse to my body that I don't remember everything and I don't remember the order. I don't even remember the dates that I got married or the year. I have a hard time remembering what year it was that I got married twice. Um, so I'm going to try and keep it in order, but I might jump. So I, um, I don't really know what I did from there. In my, my late 20s were kind of a blur. Uh, in my 30s, um, what I did is a blur too. I ended up getting married at some point to a guy I knew for five years, which I knew very well was not the right man for me, but I was um, to that point again where I wanted to get well. I wanted to have a solution, and I didn't know what my problem was, so I thought, well, I'll marry him because he's a good guy, and he's going to fix me. And that was definitely not what happened. He, um, he couldn't fix me. It frustrated the heck out of him, and it... It frustrated me, too. I was just pissed off at him. Like he, I wanted him to fix me, but I wanted him to do it without telling me what to do. I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. Just wave a magic wand, dude, but don't tell me I have to do anything because I don't want to. I want it to just be easy. So that marriage, the first marriage, lasted six months. That was the longest relationship I've had. Um up to date, to that date. So that was a very, very messy divorce. I um, Rage started to come into my life at that time <clears throat> where, you know, I just see as my life moved on, went on the years and years, I changed so much. I went from being a very happy-go-lucky, you know, sometimes weepy <laughs> during a drunk to a very raging Person. I would rage at people. I would, I mean, I would walk up to people in a bar if I had lost something out of my wallet and frisk them and be like, you stole it, and just go out of my mind and say accusing strangers of things. I didn't know who I was anymore. Um, so I started raging, and that divorce ended up very, very horribly. I ended up doing things that I could have gone to jail for. Um, but again, I was a good liar and lied my way out of it. I, um, I, it was a long process and a very painful one. And I, I continued to play on the sympathies of my family and lie and never take responsibility for anything that I had done. Never. Um, 
Oh, I want to back up. The first time I got arrested, well, I was 18, and uh, it was for underage drinking. I didn't think that was a big deal because there were about 50 other people who got arrested with me. So I'm like, there's nothing wrong here. I'm the same as them. So then after, <clears throat> oh, and then I guess I should, I'm wondering if I, there was more hospitalizations in there. I just can't remember um, when they were. I, I know that there were seven total, seven hospitalizations for uh, suicide attempts. Um, so then I, uh, I moved away to Denver with the new boy after I got divorced. And, um, you know, life was good. Still having a hard time holding down a job. I don't, I can't tell you how many jobs I've gone through or how many countless, um, addresses, but it was a lot. Moved to Denver, moved to Sacramento with him. He was an alcoholic as well. We used to make jokes about it. He's like, you know, we're alcoholics. I'm like, yeah, so what? You know, I didn't really get the concept of what an alcoholic really was. I just thought we just liked to drink and there wasn't really any harm to it. I remember this one night in Sacramento, I was drunk. Um, this guy out of the clear blue, out of nowhere, this stone cold sober guy walked up to me, pulled me aside. He goes, you know what? You really need to stop drinking. And I, I of course then totally raged on him and told him he didn't know what he was talking about, but I never forgot that because I thought, wow, some stranger out of nowhere came up to me and told me it's time to stop drinking. But I didn't stop drinking and I ended up ruining that relationship again and, um, ended up back in Illinois. My sister said, come live with me. My sister was also an enabler and a rescuer. Well, I was there for about a day, and my sister couldn't take me anymore. Because she's like, you're not going to drink. I'm like, you're not, guess what? You're not going to tell me what to do. So I ended up in a homeless shelter. That was my one and only homeless shelter because my family was done. They didn't want to take me in anymore. I was in my 30s, and um, they had had enough. So at the homeless shelter, this sweet lady, you know, we sat and talked, and I was just beside myself, hysterical. She asked me if I wanted to go to rehab, and I said yes. And at that moment, I was like, anything to get out of here, I will go anywhere to get out of a homeless shelter. And it was not really about where it was, because it was the nicest homeless shelter. I, I mean, it was a nice place. It was that I didn't want the stigma of being homeless. So I... They paid for me to go to a really nice rehab, <clears throat> and I went to rehab. And that was my first real taste of um, the AA program. I played along. I got a little bit in my head that, okay, maybe this is wrong with me, but I still wasn't as serious as I needed to be. I wasn't ready, and I wasn't done. And... Um, I graduated from there in 30 days, and I went to a halfway house. But not before I made googly eyes and let my intentions known to one of the boys at the rehab who happened to be a drug dealer. I thought, there's nothing wrong with this. And so I ended up leaving the, rehab, or the halfway house about maybe two or three weeks in, and I remember the lady, I left, and she's like, you're making a mistake. And I thought, you don't know, I am fully capable of taking care of myself. My sister let me come back home with her because I had done enough begging and I had done enough pleading. 
And um, I made it, I don't know how long, at my sister's, not very long before I was back uh, running and gunning and doing what I did best, which was partying and living a very chaotic life. So I actually ended up getting a place downtown um, by myself, amazingly enough. I had a good job, well, a decent job. It paid the bills, I got my own place, but I was still just, I was walking crazy person. And I met, I broke up with that one drug dealer because he wouldn't give me what I wanted one night, so I raged at him and called the cops on him which was a terrible thing to do. I, I still don't know if he's in prison right now because of what I did. Um, but I was told that that's his part. <laughs> if you got in trouble, that's his part. So, um, so I ended up meeting a guy downtown Chicago, and he had money. And I thought, I'm cured. He has money. Money is my cure. I just need money. I've needed money all this time and I didn't know it. If I had money, I would live this cookie cutter, white house, picket fence life because I wouldn't have to struggle with stuff like work and um, bill paying. So I married this guy after knowing him a very little amount of time. He was an alcoholic as well. But like I said, he had money so I didn't have to work. So that was not a good a good situation at all. We both just sat around and drank all day and all night. So that relationship lasted about six months as well. So there's my second marriage. Two marriages that a total lasted one year. And I ended up getting divorced from him as well. From there I moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, and uh, I really was, this was when I really started getting toward the bottom here. It is when I hit the bottom. I ended up getting my second arrest, my third arrest. I, there was an arrest in my 20s, by the way. It was for public intoxication, went through the classes, all that stuff. This is my second arrest for public intoxication. You know, I never even, I, I couldn't even make it to my car without getting arrested. That's why I didn't get DUI, because I just, I was so drunk. I couldn't make it to the car. They nabbed me right before. Um, ended up trying to kill myself after that public intoxication again because I just wanted to take the easy way out. I didn't want to have to um, to um, go through the pains and uh, ended up in the hospital again. Went back to my mom's, lived here a couple years. I'm going to speed this up a little bit because I'm talking way too much about it. And... Um, then I, I lived here for a couple of years in Arizona, thinking things were good when I lived with my parents because they really kept me under thumb. But I ended up rolling downhill. It really turned out to be about every two to three years, I would fall off my trolley. I would just lose it. I'd get arrested, go to the hospital. I'd lose a job. Um, and that happened here. About the third year I moved to Arizona, I ended up losing my job because I was caught um, skimming from the till. I would take money out of the till and repay it. Thank God they caught me repaying it, so I didn't have to go to jail over that. Um, but I lost my job, which I loved. And I ended up going on a couple-day bender and tried to kill myself 
again. Woke up in the hospital and I thought, here I am, 40 years old, and I could not believe I was in the hospital again. I was done. So I, um, I really felt defeated at that moment. I, I thought, they're just going to need to lock me up in a state ward because this is not getting any better and I'm never going to be anything in my life but a screw-up and a drunk and um, really a screw-up that needs to drink because they're such a screw-up. I really just didn't connect that alcoholism still. And then my aunt, who is in the program for 20 years, came in with my mom and I was trying to explain to my mother why it was her fault that I was so screwed up in my whole life. And uh, my aunt just kept me giving me the crappiest looks. And she, I said, just spit it out. What do you want to say? And she's like, you're an alcoholic. Now, this is not the first time I ever heard I was an alcoholic, but it's the first time I understood it and that it sunk, it sunk in. It's the first time I thought, oh, well, maybe that is the problem. Um, so I was delighted at that moment. I know that sounds really weird, but I was so excited to really honestly understand that maybe I figured out what is the problem here. It's not me, it's the alcohol. So I, um, I ran back, I skipped back to the unit and was so excited and I told them, I'm like, I'm an alcoholic, that's my problem. And I was so happy and they're like, yeah, she needs to stay longer. And um, <laughs> so... <laughs> I was lucky enough to have the unit director, she's in the program, and um, she sat with me for an hour one night and told me her story. And it was a beautiful story, and I wanted what she had. So it was such a blessing to have that before I got out of the hospital. Because when I left the hospital, I was insanely sick, physically sick, emotionally sick, and I was a nervous wreck. I... It was two of the most ex intense emotions at the same time. I was so happy to get out of the hospital and so scared to death because I didn't know what I was going to do. And she told me, she goes, you know, they say do 90 meetings in 90 days. She goes, you need to do 180, 180 meetings in 90 days. I'm like, okay. And I thought she was crazy. I'm like, that's nuts. That's a lot of meetings. So I ended up going to a meeting that night. <clears throat> and... It, I felt at home immediately. I loved what the speaker had to say. I felt like this is where I belong. And I, I got a sponsor directly after that. I um, started working my steps. And life was getting better. Life was getting better. It was amazing to me. I, I really started to understand where my um where my problems lied it was not that the outside was creating my inside it was that um my alcoholism was creating my inside and um so i uh like i said i worked my steps and i think that's just that's just where i went wrong the first time around um they told me to be thorough. And uh, some people are like, well, I'm as thorough as I can be. And I was like, okay, I can be as thorough as I can be. And 
So there were things I did not want to make amends for, period. I was like, well, I'm not going to make amends for that. So I'm not going to put it on my fourth step. And if it's not on my fourth step, then it didn't happen. And so I didn't. There were big things in my life where I just said, I can erase that and not put it even down there. And we'll just pretend it didn't happen. And that was my biggest mistake. I mean, I, I walked through that first year and a half carrying a big load still. I never felt the promises like people talk about. I never felt that happy, joyous, and completely lightheartedly free walking around because I still had big issues that I wasn't willing to take care of. I moved to Tucson while I was 10 months sober because I thought, I need to go to Tucson and save the world down there, and I'll meet a man, and I'm just going to do a great job at this new job. And because um, I had bright ideas still because I wasn't feeling that happy, joyous, and free like everybody else talked about. So I thought, well, this is what God wants me to do. He's telling me to go. And um, it really was just the avenue that led me to uh, completely not doing my steps, um, picking a sponsor that I knew wouldn't hold me accountable, um, lying saying that I was a lot further along than I was, uh, not in my time, but in my sobriety, as far as my step work, as far as like needing her assistance more in depth than, I, than um, she could get. So I chose somebody who I knew wouldn't be good for me, and um, I ended up relapsing down there. Um, my relapse was uh, on other substances. Um, so it took me a couple months to come to terms with the fact that I had relapsed because I said, well, it's not alcohol. If it's not alcohol, then I'm fine. But I went right back to being completely crazy. The only thing I really lost during that relapse was my spirituality. It was the most important thing that I lost. Um, I didn't lose my job or my car or my home but I lost my connection with God, what little connection I had, and it devastated me. My life was miserable instantly. It was instantly miserable. So I ended up begging my company to let me come back here and take my old job back, and I moved back. And it still took me about a month to come clean to my sponsor and uh, tell her that I had relapsed. And I, to get that courage up, and this is my thinking. And to tell me that I didn't relapse, I went out and drank. And I said, well, I'm going to go out and drink. Because if I drink, then it's a real relapse, and I can't lie to myself. So I went out and drank. And, um, and then I went home and called her. And uh, I remember this, this saying. It kind of stuck with me. And it really helps me with my sponsees now, too, is um, I was apologizing on the phone. So I'm so sorry. And... She goes, Stacy, don't take this the wrong way, but your sobriety does not affect my happiness. And I was like, <laughs> I can't believe she just said that to me. My sobriety is everything to you, woman, and you need to know that. So I was just put right flat on my butt, and I was like, okay. And I got to tell you, that is how our relationship was for the first nine months of me coming back. It was a struggle, not because of her, but because of me. I, 
the first time around, I was this cupcake, rainbows and unicorns faker. Like, I was not real. I wasn't willing to tell you the truth about me. I wasn't willing to come clean about me, not even to myself. I was not willing to sit in a room and cry and say, I am freaking miserable, and I don't know what to do. The second time around, I'm like, I ain't faking nothing. And believe me, it was just all ugliness. There was nothing but ugliness that came out of me. I was a challenge to be around, a challenge to sponsor. Um, there were times I wanted to fire her. I thought, well, I'll show her. I'm going to fire her because I think I need somebody else and uh, somebody who's more sensitive to my needs and kind. And because I couldn't manipulate her. And I was like, this sucks. Like, she is not manipulatable, and that's just not who I need. But every time I wanted to do that, God really just put on my heart, like, that's a mistake. It's a mistake. And I didn't want to make any more mistakes because I really, really wanted to be sober. I didn't want to be miserable anymore. So I worked my steps. Um, the first step. I think this time around, I was completely thoroughly convinced that I'm an alcoholic and that uh, my life was unmanageable. I needed no more convincing ever since. Um, it's funny how all the things I've gone through in my life, those weren't convincing enough, but my relapse was. It was convincing enough to tell me that I was completely hopeless by myself and that there was... Um, there, there was really only one way of life for me to get better, and that was this way of life. Uh, on the second step, and we worked, I got to tell you, the, the steps I did the second time around, I did 12 steps in 12 months. That's how stubborn I was. It took me 12 steps for 12 months because I kicked and screamed the entire way, almost on every entire step. The second step, can you believe that a power greater than myself, ourselves, could restore us to sanity? Yeah, I knew that God could do anything he wanted to. I just didn't think he wanted to. I thought, yeah, he can, but does he want to? If he wanted to, he would have done it a long time ago, and I wouldn't be stuck here having to do all this work. Um, but I did take that, you know, I, I heard in a meeting once, and they're like, you just have to have the willingness. So I said, okay, I'm willing to believe that God wants to for me. I'm willing to believe that. And I just held on to that. I, I, I prayed it. I prayed for it every morning. God, please help me to trust you. Please teach me how I, to trust you, to trust that you want what's best for me, even though it doesn't look like I want it to look. Um, step three was, was, I say it was simple, but, um, the hard stuff was easy to turn over. I'm like, yeah, you want this crap? Take it. But the stuff that I held on to that I thought was still very um, useful, like manipulation and um, my persuasive powers over men, all that kind of stuff, um, that was hard to turn over to God. I really wanted God to do things my way. Uh, and I still learn daily how different things when different things creep up how I need to turn it over to God like the controlling aspect of my work um, me wanting to control people places and things at my job 
I'm learning every day more and more how to turn each individual situation over to God. And uh, that just comes with practice for me. It really does. It did not all come at once. It, it comes piecemeal. But the main part of the alcoholism and the demoralization, the hospitalization, institution, jail, all this stuff, that was easy to turn over to God. I was like, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. It's all yours. Now the fourth step came. And I was like, this is going to suck. I don't want to do it. And, but I was convinced that I needed to be completely honest. Um, and I knew by the second step that if I just had the willingness to be honest, that I could be honest, and then step nine would come, but that would come when it came, and I didn't need to worry about that right now. The first part was for me to be honest in writing it down. So I whined, as I do. I whined to my sponsor. I don't want to do it, and I, it's going to take so much time, and I'm such a busy person, and, you know, it, it just makes me hurt to think about it. And she's just like, Stacey, just do it 15 minutes a night. And I did. I did. I set my alarm clock to it. I'd be like, 15 minutes? Fine. That's all I'm going to do every night, 15 minutes. I'm not going to do any more, and I'm not going to do any like I'm going to do 15 minutes. So I set my alarm clock every night for 15 minutes. And I would sit there and sit it down, and I'd write for 15 minutes. It went off, and I'm like, done. I have succeeded for the day. And I finished my fourth step by doing 15 minutes a night. Sometimes I would do a little bit more if I felt generous that day. But, um, <laughs> but mostly I just did 15 minutes a night. This is what my sponsor put up with, you guys. It was a, it was a challenging. She's running for sainthood, I think. Um, and then we, <laughs> and then, uh, so I finished my fourth step, and I was so pleased. It was such a thorough fourth step. It was so thorough, more thorough than I'd ever been in my entire life, more honest than I'd ever been in my entire life. I got to tell you, finishing that felt victorious. I felt victorious, and I felt like for once I'd finished something in my life. It may not have been a school education. It may not have been what most people consider big deals, but to me, it was finishing something, and it was a huge deal. Um, so my fifth step, you guys know, I mean, it was easy to tell her, because she knew all my crap anyway. I was such a whiner, and I would tell her things whether she wanted to hear them or not. So it was pretty simple to go through the steps, or go through the fifth step and tell her what, um, what I did and, you know, what I, what my work came out to be, I think the hardest part about the fifth step was, you know, she didn't do the work for me as far as listing out my character defects. And I was like, you want me to do that? Aren't you supposed to do that? Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> You're supposed to do that. So she did some and then I did some. And, um, and that was kind of eye-opening and freeing too. I think it's, it's always eye-opening when you take part in it and don't make somebody else do the work for you. When you have to actually think about it and put effort into it and ask God for help, then, then you get the answers yourself, and um, I think they mean a little bit more to me than having somebody else give me the answer. So, um, sorry, I have to look at my 12 steps here. So, uh, sixth and seventh step, I, I was definitely, like I said about those character defects, I was ready for God to remove the ones that I didn't want to have anymore. 
um, I consistently shed or am willing to shed the ones that I feel comfort from now because I see their damage. I have, um, I've still had a lot of damage that I've done even in sobriety uh, because of my character defects that I wasn't willing to let go. But I consistently learn from that and I have not drank over it and I pray to God and ask him to help me to want to, want to let it go. And that's all I can do. And God, God helps me with that every single time. Um, making a list of the persons I had harmed. This was difficult because I still had those people in my mind where I'm like, hell no. But at this point, I, I got to tell you, when I came back in, the first nine months were miserable, miserable. I was in so much emotional turmoil um, the entire time that I wanted a lot of me, that pushed me through the steps when I didn't want to do it. It pushed me to do exactly what I needed to do to get it done because I wanted the ninth step promises. And that was the only thing that my sponsor kept telling me is don't quit five minutes before your miracle. Um, I knew that if I had stayed at it, um, I would, I would get those. So I, uh, I made my list and I, I started to make amends. I made amends to the people I didn't want to do. I made amends to my ex-husbands, which was very hard. I made amends when I, to my ex-roommate that I stole quarters from that I hated him. I hated him so much. He hated me, too, and I had to go to his face and give him quarters back. It was terrible. But he was so sweet, you guys. I walked in, and he's like, you're in the program, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm in it, too. And he gave me a hug. And it was amazing, you guys. I, this person, this nemesis of mine that I thought, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to die from this amends. <laughs> It ended up being one of the best amends I've ever made in my life. So um, anyway, 10, 11, and 12. I continue, like I said, I've been sober almost a year and a half now. I continue to work 10, 11, and 12 every day, and I get better every single day at it. Um, as far as meditation, I think it's the intention that matters. I, I put an effort into meditation every day. Some days I'm good at it. Some days I'm not good at it. Each day God knows my intention and I'm blessed because of it. Um, so I live a very happy, joyous, and free life today when um, when things... I, I do have a sponsee, by the way, too. I'm going to close up here in a minute. Uh, who I'm so excited and blessed to have in my life. I got her pretty early on. I got her. It's not even the right thing to say. She... God brought her to me pretty pretty early on. And we have walked our journey together. And she is a little mini-me walking around that's about six months behind me. And um, it's so fun to see her journey. And it's so fun because I feel like everything I've gone through and learned firsthand, I'm able to show her pers personal experience from it. Um, it's a true blessing. And um, I was really blessed to, to be there to see her get her one-year chip this month. Uh, I believe in service work, and I do service work. I believe in the power of prayer, and I do it. And I believe wholeheartedly in making direct amends every single day when you screw up. 
if I don't, it eats my lunch anyway, so I might as well just do it. I always feel better because of it. So um, I love this program, and I love you guys. So thanks for letting me be here. Thanks, I did it. Oh, oh. Oh,